Hey, good morning. It's Pastor Rob. It is great to see you today. We are in week two of this year's Advent series. It's called Behold, the Savior Comes as we build up towards Christmas. That's really what Advent means. It means an anticipation of something incredible coming. And we know that incredible coming to be Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate a symbolic day for his birthday at Christmas time. The four-week series this year is designed to help us live in a way that's different, to see the ways in which our faith in Jesus Christ can change the way that we think about the world, the way we experience the world, the way we impact the world. Last week, we talked about that basic. We talked about faith. We went back to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7 in particular, where Isaiah is speaking to the people of God and King Ahaz in particular as he's calling them back to him and saying, look, I'm going to send a Savior. And it's it's really the first place we see in Scripture this, this understanding of who Jesus Christ will be. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is God speaking through Isaiah to Ahaz and God's people. And he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. We talked about the Hebrew word for behold there, hine or hina. It's, a, it's designed to denote this surprise, like you have got to see this. Come and see this. This is going to blow your mind, boggle your mind. We talked about some of the challenges of, of adhering to or listening to God's promises because God doesn't always work in the timetables we expect him to. He also doesn't always work in the ways we expect him to, but he is faithful. And if he says he's going to do something, he will. And we know now in retrospect, we know that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a baby, just as Isaiah predicted to die for us on a cross and to save us from ourselves and our sins. And we, we know that now, but that's not always easy to see in the moment. The faith that we're talking about, this kind of powerful faith in Jesus Christ, it's what really allows us or should allow us as Christians to move into a future we haven't seen with a hope that cannot be shaken. It's a faith that when it's lived out to its fullest, relieves the burdens of worry about what might come because we know ultimately God has promised he's got this all under control and we believe by faith that he does. It helps us rest in God's provision and cross that bridge between having and wanting, right? And recognizing that what we have is everything that we need. If we were content to do that so often, how much happier our lives would be. And it, the truth is, this faith in Jesus Christ, it restores the soul. It gives back hope where hope is lost. And I think hope is something that this world desperately, desperately needs right now. And that ultimate hope, that eternal hope, only comes in one place, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. This week, we want to talk about something else that that faith offers. That faith offers us and allows us an opportunity to experience true joy in what is otherwise a sad and sometimes dark world. This week, joy enters the world as this, this prophecy that Isaiah put forth in Isaiah chapter 7 comes true. We see it come to life. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2 today as joy enters the world in its truest form, God himself becoming flesh. 
If you'll read along with me, I'm going to read out of the ESV again this week, uh, really because they use the word behold in that translation. It's the same word translated differently in other versions, the CSB being the one that I usually use. But I want to make sure we're zeroing in on that behold so we're grabbing it and catching it. And the ESV, I think, does a great job with this passage. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to go through verses 1 through 20 today in bits and pieces. We'll stop after several verses and talk. So let's work on it. First, Luke chapter 1, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Again, out of the ESV. Read along with me. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went up to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the inn. We know that that child that she gave birth to was Jesus Christ, whose father is God himself, and who chose humble young Mary to carry his child. You know, it's we, we don't talk about it too often, but Mary was probably somewhere between 14 and 18 years old. I can't imagine a teenager taking on that kind of burden, and yet here God has selected this woman who is capable of it, and said, I need you to do this. And she has said, okay, I will. But they are traveling. They are traveling from where they live, their town of Nazareth, to Bethlehem. And they're, they're doing so because they have to. The government has demanded that they go to this place to register. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine traveling across days of desert road with sitting on the back of a donkey, nine months pregnant, with your husband walking alongside you next to you uh, to register. I mean, I think we get cranky about standing in a BMV line for 30 minutes, right? <laughs> Let alone going all the way across. And yet, here they are. Here they are doing what they are being asked to do by their government, which is sometimes very, very hard to do. But doing it nonetheless and going through much more than I think any of us would ever be comfortable with. Only to find, once they get there, because the census is going on, so many people have come to this town, have come to Bethlehem to register so many people, that the inn is full, the hotel is full, and they have no place to stay. There is no room for the Savior of the world. That is mind-boggling, but isn't, isn't that kind of a microcosm of the way Jesus was accepted when he came, in, came into flesh, and sometimes still accepted in our world? Is there room for him? Do we make room for the Savior? The truth is the people of that time had a lot of difficulty making room for him. They were too busy with their own lives and priorities and endeavors and, and their perspective. We talked a little bit last week about this idea that they were expecting a king or a soldier or, or something that was going to have this military rule to take over. That's what they were looking for. And they didn't have time for the Savior that God sent. I think... We are so busy sometimes trying to solve our own problems or, or living into a certain, uh, what we believe to be an ideal or a set of expectations that we sometimes, we miss out on God sending help 
and directing us where we really need to and should be going. Even as Christians, I wonder sometimes, are our lives too full with responsibilities and personal endeavors and goals to make room for the Savior? And so because he can't fit at the end, he shows up anyways. That doesn't mean he's not going to be here, right? That doesn't mean Jesus said, God just says, well, there's no hotel. We're not coming. I'm not coming today. No, he says, I'm coming anyways. And so he ends up in a stable. That could be a barn, a physical barn, like many of us out here have. Or it, it could be a cave. That's a very common occurrence back then and in that area of the world where there are caves really dotting the landscape. And it was very common for people to um, create a stable in a cave because you've got a natural roof and a, and a wall on three sides. All you have to do is put something across the front and you've got kind of this natural climate controlled waterproof system going on. So it could be that, that Jesus was born in a cave that had been converted to a stable. And But whether a barn as we know it or a cave, either way, it wasn't where people normally stay. We also know that he was laid in a manger. A manger is essentially, in case you didn't know, it's, it's, it's a food trough. It's where the farmer would throw hay for his animals to eat. And so they made space in that to lay the savior of the world. It's an inauspicious beginning, right? It's, it's here he is coming to help us all and we can't even make enough space to put him in a, in a warm hotel room. But I think their entire experience, Mary and Joseph going through the, the difficulties of being pregnant and not yet married. And at that time, that was, that was a taboo. That was something you just didn't allow to happen because it would tarnish your name and tarnish your reputation. But here they are trying to do deal with those challenges. They're having to travel at nine months pregnant across all this distance only to find themselves sleeping in a stable and delivering their baby in a stable. We can learn something from this. We can, as Sam Storm says, it says, joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. Mary and Joseph know that God is with them. God is present with them. And there's no indication here that they are sad or stressed or weakened. It simply says they have the joy of the Lord and they're processing what is otherwise a dark or difficult time as though God is in charge. And there's a peace that comes again with that faith and a, and a strength that comes with that faith and a joy that comes with that faith. Let's, let's keep reading because there's more to the story than just what happens to Mary and Joseph and the coming of the Savior. Let's pick up in verse 8 of Luke 2. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Let's pause there for just a second. It's interesting to me that, that we look to Jesus as our loving Savior, and he is every bit that. But if you, if you consider the person of God and how he is discussed or, or illustrated all through Scripture, every time God's presence shows up or the heavenly bodies show up, in this case, angels from heavens above and the light from heaven. There's a fear that goes with that. It's, I think it's because it's just an overwhelming power and force that is well beyond 
our capacity. You see it and you just go, um, nope, I cannot stand up to that one, <laughs> right? You have no choice but to give in. And when, when that's the case, we get scared. Let's keep going in verse 10. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring to you, there it is, behold, behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I don't think we should miss here that God chooses to be the first people outside of Jesus' family that come to know him, that he chooses the least of these. He chooses shepherds. Shepherds are the first to know, the first he tells. Socially, they are among the lowest of the low. They are the, the ones that people look at and go, dude, you smell funny. Go back to the field. They're the ones that don't interact with people. They're the ones that get the jobs where they have to stay up all night and deal with fighting off wolves. Their jobs are dangerous. They're difficult. They're smelly. And at the end of the day, they're the jobs they relegate to people who aren't well educated. And that's a horrible way that we class people that way. It's absolutely ridiculous, but it, it's been going on in humankind for really since its very beginnings. But Jesus picks the lowest of the low. Again, the least of these. And it is the least of these that he continuously throughout Scripture, most clearly in Matthew 25 and verse 40, but, but throughout his lifetime, he calls and reaches out to the least of these, the ones that others turn away from, the, the ones that others don't give credibility to the ones that that others would not think are wonderful and fabulous and and if you feel that way if you feel like you're one of those people in any way shape or form you should know this Jesus reaches out to those the most if they are willing to listen he will use you he will do incredible things with you. He will allow you to be part of his mission. He will heal you. He will call you to new places. Jesus reached out from the very beginning to those that society had left behind or forgotten. But we see that word behold in verse 10. He uses that word, that word behold. Behold. Last week we looked at Isaiah and the Hebrew translation. This, this week it's in, it's in Greek and it's a similar word. In fact, the same word if you were reading the Septuagint, which is, long story short, the Greek version of the Bible. Um, that would be the same word, and the word is Adon. And, and written throughout the New Testament, it implies not just the surprise of this Old Testament Hebrew word, but also this notion of not just recognizing or seeing, but also understanding. The shepherds are not only meant to lay eyes on this baby, right? Not only meant to, to go see him and to understand that the baby, or to, to recognize that there's a baby and he is this, but they're also to understand. They're also to understand. I'm getting talking really fast today. They're also to understand that he is the Savior, that this is a unique and special event, event that is above and beyond anything they could have ever possibly imagined. This is hundreds of years of promises 
fulfilled. This is prophecies coming true. This is life-changing stuff, world-changing events. They're not just meant to lay eyes on this baby. They're meant to understand that he is indeed the Messiah. And the angel says that they're not just bringing joy. They say they're bringing great joy. That term, great joy, wow, that should really cause us to pause and think. We live in a world of, honestly, a number of wonderful joys. We have a tendency as human beings to accent or hyper-focus on the negative, and there's plenty of that to focus on, but there's also some great joys, right? We, If you get a special gift from someone that cares about you and loves you, or, or a hug, the gift of a hug can change your day in a heartbeat, or a little bit of what we're seeing here in today's story, the gift of a newborn child to a family coming into a world. And just there's something special about that, that that helps us remember that life matters, that life is powerful, and that life is always rekindling. Maybe you find a joy in your life in finding that one true love or finding love in your life. Or, or maybe you find a joy in discovering your purpose. Either way, I think, I think especially in this season, we need to remind ourselves not to hyper-focus on what is bad. The truth is, there are a number of joys that this world offers us that God has created. David Mattis, theologian, says this. He said, God gave us a world of joys to get us ready for this moment when announcing joy would no longer be enough. It's not just joy. It is great joy. And this phrase that is used here is used very little in the New Testament. It's used to describe here as Jesus's birth. It's also used to describe Jesus's resurrection and ascension. It's used in Acts 15 to describe the inclusion of the Gentiles in the family of God and the, the covenant that God wants to establish. And if, and if you don't know how big a deal that is, that's enormous because it essentially opens up a relationship with God with people who are not of Jewish descent. He had a very limited group that he called his people and now he's creating this new covenant where he's saying no all people and it's used this phrase is also used in the book of jude as as, as he describes coming into the very presence of god it is saved for these huge moments these great joys these are eternal events and capable of bringing a joy that is beyond our imaginations these these great joys the heights of these great joys are unfathomable sometimes. Listen to this description in verses 13 and 14. Let me reread it. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. He this, this heights of from the face human beings on the face of the earth to the heights of the heavens above, right? This idea that this great joy exp is, is expressed and, and, and experienced by people and, and creations, all of God's creation, wherever it might be, from the lowly shepherd to the hosts of heaven, from the face of the earth to the heavens above. The great lengths of this joy. It says in verse 10, An angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that again will be for all the people. It just dramatically widens the family and the and of God. And that is, that is 
that is the stuff that makes me want to drop to my knees and thank him because without that, without that, that time, that moment, we miss out on these great joys and participating with Jesus and the Lord above in them. The depths of these great joy, S.D. Gordon, a theologian, describes it this way. He says, joy, this, this kind of great joy we're talking about, has its springs deep down inside. And that spring never runs dry no matter what happens. Only Jesus gives that joy. He had joy singing its music within, even under the shadow of the cross. And you might be sitting here saying, well, how do I, how do I receive this joy? I could really use some joy in my life right now, right? Well, let's look at how the shepherds did it. If we continue, we'll finish up our text. This is verses 15 through 20 of our text today. Let's see how the shepherds receive this joy. It says this, when the angels went away from them into the heaven, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, Mary, as a mom would do, right? Treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So what did the, the shepherds do to receive this joy? Well, the first thing is they kept their eyes and their hearts open. Notice even before this text, when they were sitting out in the middle of a field doing their daily job, right? Their eyes were open, their hearts were open and prepared for the possibility that God can move. There, you notice they, they fall in fear when, when the angel shows up and the light from heaven shows up. That's an indicator that, that they are not, <laughs> they are not uh, questioning at all, <laughs> at all, where this force is coming from. And they're not dismissing it. They're saying God, they are open to the notion that God could come to them in their time and their place, wherever and whenever that is, and, and come to them and reveal himself to them. I think sometimes we get so busy again with, with life that we don't do that. But we need to keep our eyes open to the unexpected ways that joy arrives in our lives, that God arise in our, arrives in our lives. And they're willing to do that. From this text we just read, man, they go to check it out for themselves. <laughs> right? The angels tell them this story, but they have to go. Jesus invites his disciples to do that all along the way. In John chapter 1, he says when he's calling his original disciples, he says, come. Come follow me. Come and see. Come and see what I'm about to do. Check this out for yourself. Because the truth is for us to truly understand and experience the joy of Christ, the joy of God that he offers here in the Savior, we have to participate in what he's doing. We have to be a part of the story he is writing. We have to come and see. And that may mean for you and your walk right here right now, that may mean you going to the word of God and reading this story in Luke 2 over and over again. It may mean you becoming part of a body of believers, a church or a home church or something to help you grow. It may mean 
going out and sharing the gospel or helping others make a physical, tangible impact on the, on on each other's lives. It may mean learning to pray and, and going to pray with others. But make no mistake, God is working in amazing ways throughout the world. Our call is to go check that out for ourselves. You can't see the joy unless you experience it. You can't experience the great joy of Jesus unless you join him in where he is working. Because that's what he's inviting us to do. It's something to be seen, not just to be heard about. But they also do something else. They also go back and they tell the story with wonder. With wonder. They walk in and they tell Mary and Joseph. They say, look, look at this story. This is what happened to us. And and you have to think that they were all standing there going, dude, right? And I'm sure Mary and Joseph needed it. It's a, it's a confirmation for them. Yes, yes, yes. God is not just working in my child. He's been planting seeds and sending the message and getting the world ready for this arrival, right? They tell the story. And the shepherds, they, they tell it with frequency. You get the sense here that, that this is a story they can't hold back, that they're, that they're not just going to hide and never tell again. You get the sense that they have to go tell everybody they know. And finally, they return after the event is over and just going, oh my goodness, what have we walked into? What has become? What is happening right now? It says they return glorifying and praising God glorifying and praising God. And I think if you really want to experience the joy of God, you have to take the time to do that. To remember who your God is and what he's done. To sing his praises. Maybe sing out loud in music, but sometimes just scream to the heavens above, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for me. We need that kind of reinforcement, frankly, because the the world will drag you down. It'll try to steal your joy. I have a a technique that I was taught several years ago, many years ago at a conference uh, about this guy who was trying to help us understand that joy uh, is not something others should be able to take from you, especially if it's founded in Jesus Christ. And he would find himself when he was in a position where people were trying to drag him down, that he finally got to the place where he would walk up to the people that were trying to drag him down and he would go, you can't steal joy. And they would look at him how you're looking at me through the camera right now. They would look at him and go, what is wrong with you? But for him, that was a reminder that God was the center of his universe, that God was the one that was bringing him joy, that Jesus's great joy that only comes through him could not be taken, could not be stolen, could not be torn away from him by anyone or anything. That is the joy that Jesus brings, that eternity that he brings, that strength that he brings. God is faithful. God is filled with joy and love, and God desires for you to know that, but you have to be willing to go where he wants you to go. You have to have faith that he is who he says he is and that his promises he will keep. And it is my prayer in this season that you will lean into the opportunities for joy that God has given you and that you will embrace the great joy that comes only in one place, and that is through Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.